Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. everyone. I'm David Deckelbaum from Cowan's Energy Team. In today's installment of our Carbon Capture podcast series, I'm joined by Denberry's CEO, Chris Kendall, and the SVP of Business Development and Technology, Matt DeHaan. Maybe just to start off with an introduction for our audience, uh, would you mind running through your backgrounds? It's always interesting, I think, for, for people to hear how folks found their way to be involved with, with CCUS projects. Yeah, sure, David. I'll start. This is Matt DeHaan. Um, I'm the SVP of Business Development and Technology for Denbury. I'm a petroleum engineer by background, Colorado School of Mines. Um, worked for Mobile Oil. Good chunk of my career, both in the U.S. and overseas. Um, worked many di- different types of recovery processes. Uh, eventually wound myself up in Saudi Arabia for a while, then Europe, and found my way back to uh, to Plano, Texas, uh, back in 2010. I've been with Denbury ever since. Great. And David, this is this is Chris, and uh, thanks for having us on the call today. Really excited to talk about Denberry. Uh, looking back, uh, I have a in some ways similar experience to Matt, in some ways very different. Uh, also went to Colorado School of Mines. Um, also worked for Mobile coming out of college, but I'm a civil engineer by training, and so my work in in the first 15 years or so of my career was really focused on uh, offshore structures and and marine systems and and. Uh, during the uh, early part of the century, I, I moved to uh, Noble Energy, and there I, I moved more into business uh, operations, I'd say. Uh, spent some time in South America, uh, spent some good time in Israel with, with some of the work that we were doing there. But all along the way, David, I really saw the, uh, the this tricky balance that the industry had with how do we provide energy and how do we reduce carbon emissions and do it all in a way that, that works as well as it possibly could. And for me, that was the real appeal of Denbury. When I first heard about Denbury, I'd say around 2015, which led to me joining the company and, and of course, just thrilled to see what we've been able to do with the company here in that space and what's yet to come, honestly. Absolutely. Well, it's, I think everyone has a common thread of, of being able to solve large problems. And, you know, maybe just to provide some context, I mean, Denberry has a, has a fairly unique profile within the, the carbon capture landscape, just given a lot of the existing infrastructure and being, you know, predominantly a, uh, what's thought of as a pure play EOR story. Um, but I guess when, when did Denberry first begin envisioning a, a CCUS business? Sure, David. When you think about Denbury's history and our first foray into enhanced oil recovery back in 1999, um, that is really when this all started. And I talk about enhanced oil recovery in in the context of being part of CCUS because, as I'm sure you know, for many, many years, the only real means uh, uh, that worked economically for capturing CO2 and and putting it underground was through EOR. And it succeeds in putting CO2 permanently underground, but it didn't completely depend on government policy. So that's when we started in these operations. But along the way, as we saw the need for more CO2 to be captured um, and the trends of government policy eventually catching up uh, and, and helping to support further capture, we, we continued to move in that direction. So if you think about 2010, give or take, uh, when we began work on this green line, uh, uh, the 24-inch pipeline along the Gulf Coast that spans between Texas and Mississippi, or into Louisiana, rather, we purposefully located that line to be very close to emission sources, which uh, honestly at the time were primarily thought to be going into EOR ultimately. But, but now that we have enough uh, policy support, and we saw that coming in the whole, I'd say, last uh, five to seven years for storage outside of VOR, we just saw that opportunity set uh, build to an, an even greater level with, with the 45Q tax credit where it is. And, uh, and that really put us where we are today. 
So maybe based on where you are today, can you kind of divide the, the CCUS opportunities and, and kind of just give everyone the size of the scope, um, maybe between the Rockies and differentiating that from, from the Gulf Coast? Sure. So I started by talking about the Gulf Coast, and, and certainly that's where we began. And also that is where the bulk of existing ambitions are, just that the nature of, of that region is, is really suited for that. And so that is the primary focus, uh, especially in the near term, for emissions that either are coming from existing uh, plants that are converted or new plants that will be built to uh, you know, really to, to build energy, green energy uh, type of fuels, um, like, like the, uh, the hydrogen project, uh, the projects that we hear about, or the blue ammonia project that we have uh, with Mitsubishi. So that is, that is the primary fo focus, but, uh, but along the way with the system that we also have in place um, in, in the Rockies, and, and between the two of those, totaling over 1,300 miles of CO2 transmission pipelines, which is the the greatest uh, amount of uh, pipe in the in the country here uh, handling CO2. Um, we're able to look at at opportunities up in the Rockies as well, including the the projects that we announced in our last uh, quarter earnings up in the Rockies. Uh, certainly, though, I see it weighted more towards the Gulf Coast with just the level of emissions and activity that we have there uh, today. Uh, that, that makes a ton of sense, just given given some of the, the industrial corridor there. And I know you've had some announcements around the ammonia industry uh, and some others. Um, maybe can you talk a little bit about, you, you highlighted you know, that you have sort of largest CO2 pipeline network. Um, maybe discuss a little bit about some of the other competitive advantages that, that you think Denbury has um, as, as a lot of the folks that that are out there, particularly in the EMP side, and maybe some of the midstream side are trying to come to market with, with different sort of solutions. So, you know, maybe maybe if you can talk through Denberry's competitive advantages, and then, you know, maybe that can kind of dovetail into to what do you have to accomplish on, on just the capital side um, before we start seeing, you know, th this opportunity really scaling? You bet, David. It's a, it's a great question. And I'd start by even going back to my comments about beginning operations in EOR back in 1999. The company is built to move CO2. We've been doing it since then uh, in a greater scale and, uh, and in a broader sense across the United States here. The strengths that we have in our workforce, uh, technically, operationally, uh, we've been doing this that whole time, and so so when when many are talking about CCUS, we have been doing it. We began taking industrial source CO2 into the system uh, almost 10 years ago with a Nutrien on the on the Gulf Coast, their ammonia plant, yeah. with their products uh, also on the Gulf Coast, their their hydrogen plant. Um, so that's just from an experience standpoint. From running into the challenges of working with CO2 and injecting it underground, um, that is under our belt, and, and, and as a result, we have a workforce and systems that I, I just think are unmatched anywhere in the industry. Moving a little bit beyond that, I think about the infrastructure that we built to facilitate all of that. As I mentioned earlier, we have the longest CO2 pipeline network in the U.S., and and that has taken time and expenditures and, and taken risk off the table, honestly, in terms of getting the, the pipe in the ground and operating. And what we're able to do now, David, is use that great backbone of, of the infrastructure that's in place to build off of and, and ultimately to make our, our solution the most economic, I believe, for, for emitters and, and, and one that has... Uh, the, that can give them the most confidence in, in uh, our ability to handle the CO2 safely and securely. So I think we have a, a couple of key advantages. One is in the huge experience uh, base that we have, and second is in the, in the great asset uh, base that we have alongside that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty clear just given the history, um, you know, and, and certainly having a unique perspective as an EOR producer. Um, what, what does it look like on, on the capital build outside or, or is or is everything at this point sort of 
set to go because there are so many sunk costs historically with especially around the pipeline side which i imagine would be uh some of the most capital intensive parts of this uh, you know what is is the remaining portion right now as you think about allocating capital and we can get to this maybe a little bit later but as you're allocating capital to ccus is it is it, is it fairly you know how 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 large is that at this point well you're right on point in the advantage of the of the capital that has already been put into the ground in getting that pipeline system in place and it's not just the capital that goes along with that it's just the risk um, that goes along with executing pipeline projects or honestly any kind of infrastructure projects in today's world uh, there are no infrastructure projects that are easy and so we feel very good about having that in place. What we also like about it, David, is that the broad system allows us to have a lot of diversity in where we can move CO2 and and to have redundancy so that uh, an emitter can have a lot of confidence that if their CO2 comes into our system, we're not going just to one dedicated storage site or one EOR field. We have the ability to move that CO2 to a variety of different places. So we have a with that we have this reach to just an extensive area, where to your point on the, on the incremental capital that's needed to build this business out, we have a bit um, obviously to um, reach into emitters, uh, uh, industrial emitters facilities, and you know typically those are pretty short runs honestly just because of the purposeful. Uh, location of, of our infrastructure, but there is some expenditure there, but that's generally uh, fairly minor. And uh, then, of course, uh, as even though we have an, a network of EOR fields that have tremendous capacity to take industrial CO2, up really up to the neighborhood of 10 million tons a year or so, um, Beyond that, we see a need for dedicated storage. So we'll also be pointing capital towards dedicated storage um, generally, right along our infrastructure to minimize the cost of, of reaching that um, that storage and, and to provide the diversity that we want to have there. Um, all in, we think it's uh, the, the bulk of the capital and the bulk of the risk is behind us. Uh, it's still still some to spend. And uh, you know, to the last part of your question, I think uh, you know we've we've shared our expectations for for this year to spend in the somewhere in the 50 million dollar neighborhood and and a lot of that will be around the acquisition and initial steps on dedicated storage um, we expect that to come up in the coming years um, but one of the benefits that we have as as a company that has this combination of eor and ccus uh, outside of eor is that uh is that we can generate free cash from the EOR side of the business that can be deployed this way. So we can do a lot of things without taking on debt, which we think is a, a powerful strength of the company as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you talked before, it, you know, it sounds like the capital, obviously finding poor space, finding a dedicated reservoir for storage. Um, the long haul pipelines are already there. It sounds like a lot of it's just almost like a gathering line coming from a client site or an emitter. Is there anything that, 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 that capital outlay that a customer would have to, to take on or are, are you kind of sharing in that for them to, to to actually help hook up to a pipeline sure and and really david we want to to be the most economic solution we want to provide the best solution to any of our industrial partners and and the way we look at it is the the expenditures that need to go into the the project somehow they have to be accounted for in how the and how the uh, ultimate agreement is is pulled together. And we've been uh, quite flexible, honestly, in how we approach that. Uh, honestly, we ultimately want to achieve a good return for our, our shareholders, and, and, and I think that we'll be able to, to do that. But we also want to support scale in this industry, which I think is the most important thing here, is just how, how big can we make it. So so we're, we're, we're flexible and, and thoughtful about how we deal with where those uh, investments need to fall. Yeah. So I guess it may be that you can answer the next question there is, is how long, how, how large do you think you can, you could create for this opportunity? Yeah. 
Well, if you step back a little bit and look at um, some of the projections that have been made by the IEA and other agencies, yep. they're showing that CCUS globally to meet any sort of uh, net zero type of aspirations needs to exceed 7 billion tons annually by 2050. Yep. And just to, just to put that in some context, David, I think the last year that I've seen, the world uh, capture volume was around 40 million tons. Yep. And so on a, on a global sense, you couldn't imagine a, a more upside potential in what the scale of, of this industry could be. You know, if we narrow it down to our operations in the United States um, and, and just narrow down even further to the Gulf Coast and look at the opportunity set there, um, our early days of looking at this, David, with the 45Q tax credit at its current level of a $50 per ton uh, credit, which only captures some of the lower cost uh, uh, industrial emissions, even that prompted us to to announce the the plans for expansion of our green pipeline system to 50 million tons a year because we saw the need for that. Um, when I look at the potential for what can happen on the Gulf Coast, it's only gotten greater. Um, first, we were just looking at existing emitters and conversion to capture for many of those. And we were excited about that. Second, we started hearing from companies that wanted to build energy transition fuels. And, uh, and Matt will talk about some of that, uh, I'm sure, at some point during this call. But uh, but what we saw was the need for ammonia or or biofuels and, and all of these other plants that would be greenfield type plants that would that would be built to take advantage of this great combination we have of huge pore space on the Gulf Coast, access to water for, for products that need to be shipped overseas. And then a regulatory structure that works um, and supports this industry. And then finally, the infrastructure that's in place uh, to move CO2 around. So I think that combination really uh, supported a lot of new development that, that probably surprised some people. And, and I, I hope will continue to surprise people as we look at what is possible on the U.S. Gulf Coast here. So that is where I, I got with just a, a $50 tax credit, but I, I feel good that the tax credit will increase uh, potentially this year even, and all that will do is we'll, we'll scale it up further. So, uh, you know, bottom line, David, I think, you know, talked about the expansion of the pipeline up to 50 million tons per year. Uh, I think that the opportunity for Denbury is much greater than that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it dovetails, I guess, into you know, next part of this, which is really you know, discussing that revenue model, because obviously there's there's a uh, a pretty clear and uh, benefit from 45Q, and, and I know a lot of us expect the 45Q, um, you know, revenue aspect to increase here in the near term and perhaps even beyond that. Um, but you know, how do you think about the economics? You said you wanted Denbury to be the low cost solution here. Um, you know, how, how do you sort of describe those economics as they are currently and, and maybe just talk about the revenue model that you run and, and some of the expectations around that and we can get into to some of the operating costs and, and, and how you guys might be thinking about improvements to that over time. Sure. And 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 what, what I'd say, David, is I still see the revenue model as being very much in line with the National Petroleum Council's CCUS study. And, uh, and generally, uh, I, I'd say what they included in that study, which had broad industry participation of a combined transportation storage um, range of around $20 uh, per ton for CO2 that, that's captured and, and put into dedicated storage. Um, we see that number flexing probably $5 in either direction, depending on scale and proximity, but it still holds true. When we, we that's what what seemed to be the case about a year ago, and 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 still still seems to be the case. Um, ultimately, what what I think, David, is that scale is fundamental here. Um, driving sufficient scale of capture to uh, to build the system, to build the number of storage sites that will be needed. Um, to me, that's really what's exciting about it, because as you build scale, 
you, you improve all aspects of the uh, of the financial uh, model of this of this business, and you're achieving the the overall objective that the government policy is in place for originally, which is to make a big difference in in industrial CO2 emissions, and and so that that's something I think is exciting. Uh, you mentioned you know tax credits going higher, and and we're excited about that as well. Um, but I, what, what I'm primarily excited about that for is the new industries that will be incentivized under that, whether it is cement and steel manufacture, which together account for about 16% of the world's CO2 emissions, uh, whether it's hydrogen, pre or post-combustion natural gas uh, power generation, for example. Just, just, there's just a whole new world that'll come in um, in, uh, and truly of, of higher cost of capture emissions, but the scale that will be built will be significant. So we, we love where it is today. We love where it's going or where we believe it's going as well. Absolutely. Um, is Den does Denberry benefit at all, or, or can you talk about any benefit that you might all be, be receiving from, from some of the LCFS credits? Um, you know, it, it, is that, is that ever applicable uh, where you end up operating, or, or, or can it be tied back to that? Um, I mean, certainly the LCFS credit is designed to incentivize folks to deliver low-carbon fuels to the West Coast. Um, so the opportunity exists for Denbury to help in that, in, in taking CO2 off to create those fuels. Um, and then you, you think about the, the issue, as, as Chris mentioned, about some of the, the higher costs to uh, abate emissions. Yep. When there's the, the benefit of that tax credit, when you look at the, the entire value chain, um, there's an opportunity that, hey, maybe some of those higher to abate emissions can be offset by the benefits of the LCFS credit. So kind of twofold, right? You're there to, to help take the CO2, but then also as, as the costs of capture increase, it's a, it's a way to offset it uh, in addition to potential increases in 45Q. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly seems like a, an interesting commercial opportunity. Um, you know, maybe thinking about the core business before CCUS, um, you know, Denberry has, I think, almost 950 million barrels equivalent of, of proved and possible EOR reserves between the Gulf and the Rockies. Uh, you know, do you see this number changing significantly? Are you going to be accessing you know, more rock or more reserves here uh, just as your, as your CO2 sources increase or should we just think about the EOR business overall evolving towards just using almost entirely anthropogenic sources going forward? Yeah, well, maybe I'll, I'll answer it in reverse, right? I think that certainly that's our goal. It's our stated goal that we bring more and more anthropogenic CO2 to the EOR business. Um, that, you know, close to, close to a billion barrels of, of resource in total of course, that, that's made up of our proved reserve plus uh, our probable and possible and some contingent resources on top of that. I think what you'll see in the nearer term is the conversion of those probable and possible reserves to proved. Uh, our big CCA development is, is certainly, certainly the big one we got going right now, which is a huge, huge resource over 400 million barrels uh, net to Denbury. Uh, in that project alone over its multi-decades uh, that'll be being developed. Um, so the other thing is that as, as CO2, more anthropogenic CO2 comes into the system and pipeline infrastructure gets built out to service potentially the, the, the sequestration side of the business, you can take advantage of that infrastructure to uh, add uh, additional EOR targets. You know, we announced a, an agreement with Mitsui to pursue some targets on the Gulf Coast, uh, and we can see that that opportunity set growing over time as well as that that conversion of our resources uh, to proof reserves. Thanks for that, Matt. Yeah, you know, maybe just to, to drill into that a little bit more, just the when we think about the the OPEX benefit to the EOR business, um, is how do we think about that, I guess? That the dollar impacts or, or the the economic impacts now of, of being able to sequester more CO2 and be able to source almost effectively your own feed 
Sure thing, David. And you know, thinking about just the the economics of EOR and, and the, the nature of that business, uh, certainly just because of the use of CO2, uh, the cost of CO2, as well as the energy that is needed to compress and pump the CO2, it, it tends to be a higher OPEX type of business than, than the typical E&P shale producer, for example. Of course, it comes along with the correspondingly lower capital intensity and a, and a much more flexible uh, capital uh, uh, spend that we think uh, fits together very nicely. But certainly the OPEX, <clears throat> excuse me, for, for uh, EOR tends to be higher and, and to a large degree driven by CO2. So, so one thing that we look at is, is, is just where our naturally sourced CO2 has, has traditionally been a cost for us, um, that a revenue generating source of CO2 from an industrial captured uh, facility can flip that to where the, the cost actually becomes a revenue and, and it, it does some very nice things for the business. Uh, certainly it, uh, it reduces that OPEX for those incremental uh, cubic feet or tons of CO2 that come in from industrial sources, uh, but it also helps the, the capital profile of the business. Uh, as you know, we inject a lot of CO2 at the beginning stages of projects that when it's a cost, there's a, a, a financial or an economic burden on the, on the project. If there's a revenue, it'll, it'll help offset that. Bottom line, we see it making projects uh, more economic or, or economic at lower thresholds than we've had in the past. Absolutely. So what, what happens to, to Jackson Dome you know, going forward? You know, as, as, you know, it's been this benefit of, of a tremendous CO2 reserve, um, you know, obviously naturally sourced. Does, can Jackson be Dome become a, a storage site? Can that be a reinjection site or it just ends up being more of an idled resource that you're not tapping into? Sure. I, I think over time, uh, as Matt said a, a few minutes ago, we expect that the proportion of our industrial source CO2 used in EOR operations will steadily increase. And we have the great uh, ability to um, use that Jackson Dome resource uh, to, to balance the system, which is important in a, in a big uh, transmission system uh, like we have on the Gulf Coast. Um, but ultimately, I do see that going to a low level, and, and, and I do see it uh, ultimately not being David, uh, at least for a supply. Now, if you look across the all of the poor space uh, opportunities that exist on the Gulf Coast, knowing that the reservoirs at Jackson Dome have securely held pure CO2 for millions of years gives you a very high level of confidence that that will be a good storage site. Yep. Knowing that we've taken uh, on the order of 200 million tons of CO2 um, out of that reservoir over its life, uh, we've depleted it. So we, we've made space for CO2 to come back in. So physically, um, we think about that. We think you know, about the transmission system that's connected directly to those fields uh, today. Um, ultimately, I believe it will be a storage site, and it'll be a very good one. Uh, just just uh, for clarity, though, our existing lease agreements are, are based under the uh, under mineral law in Mississippi, and so we'll have to work with landowners and mineral owners to reverse that. But, but I'll, I'll tell you, David, I think that that would be something of great interest to, to those owners because uh, we can take an asset uh, that might ultimately look like there's no uh, remaining value um, and provide a, a significant value over many years into the future. That makes plenty of sense. Um, maybe we can, we can shift a little bit to talking about the, the customer side uh, you all have announced a number of customer agreements to date. You know, maybe you can talk about just starting with Mitsubishi. I'd just be interested to hear what what the demand side has, has looked like here. Uh, you talked about some of the the more difficult to abate industries, um, but you know maybe maybe just give a little bit of insight into to the demand side, uh, and then you know what's some of the key pushbacks or questions you're getting uh, with this pitch. Mm -hmm. Well, the demand side. And, uh, even at the $50 45Q tax credit level has been very strong, um, and, and honestly, it has been what we have been focused on the entire time. 
really, we've thought about increases to 45Q as being upside, but really not the focus until the government gets done uh, going through its process to put something in place. But at that level, um, and, and partly going back to even uh, Matt's comment about the potential for um, credits like LCFS or otherwise that can yeah. really enhance the economics of these projects, there has been tremendous interest and, uh, and, and it re resulted in us wanting to expand, announcing our plans to expand that pipeline um, to, you know, to up, upwards of a 50 million ton per year capacity. Um, and it's been a mix of conversions Mm -hmm. of, of existing uh, existing facilities and new facilities, so there's there's just this this really this broad mix. Um, you know, your, your question about pushback. Uh, I'll tell you, the, some of our conversations uh, with with investors have focused around uh, a similar question, like what is the pushback? What do people think? Are they waiting for a higher 45Q, or or are they waiting for approval of Class Six permitting? And we're not seeing either of those. Uh, I think the folks who are waiting for 45Q are just on the sidelines, and they'll come when that time uh, reaches us. But uh, but it's that's that's just upside. Um, so the what I see is the the people who we're working with right now are fully motivated and and economically justified by the the 45 45Q levels that you have today. And um, and then the other question we get, David, is well, what about the time frame of Class Six approval, and and how do we deal with that? Yep. And that's something where I really think that that Denbury has a magic bullet in being able to take such large volumes of CO2 into enhanced oil recovery in that interim period. And and most of the agreements that we worked through already, David provide that flexibility and and um, and and in doing so it gives the emitting industry the ability to move ahead with their capture projects earlier uh, not yep. waiting for uh, a class 6 approval and then of course in the background um, and, and as we've announced we're working towards building out a portfolio of dedicated storage sites along our infrastructure that once that class 6 process, is is complete. Uh, they'll they'll be part of that system, and and then the uh, emitters who want to transition into that will be able to. So we think we can we can kind of solve the the whole equation and have the uh, the ability to go into to EOR uh, today as as being something that that's very powerful. I'd also just add uh, many of the uh, of our industrial partners are are ambivalent toward um, EOR versus um, dedicated storage they see that uh, when their when their co2 is used in EOR and can produce a barrel of oil that is carbon negative has a negative carbon intensity uh, they see the uh, value in that and and uh, and are open to that as well so so I, I see I see a lot of uh, a lot of support and and really no meaningful pushback uh, uh, to, to answer your question there uh, no I appreciate that. Um, maybe you can discuss a little bit about this this unique agreement with Infinium. Um, you know, this is, is utilizing CO two. It's not EOR. It's not sequestration. What what what's the opportunity set here? Sure, I'll I'll take that one. So for those who don't know, Infinium is is a company that produces what's called an electrofuel. So it's the conversion of CO two using uh, green hydrogen um, to make a hydrocarbon, and ultimately, you know these uh, drop-in fuels for diesel or even airlines and, and, and the such. So if you think about it, it is kind of, we talk a lot about sequestration and we talk a lot about EUR. Um, this is the utilization end of CCUS. Um, it, uh, in a nutshell, it, it's very similar to enhanced oil recovery and that they're taking CO2 and making a fuel out of it. It's what we do in the EUR business. Ours just happens to be underground versus on the surface for Infinium. Um, you know, Chris mentioned the, the targets the world needs to hit uh, to make an impact on climate some 7 billion tons annually. So I think we're going to need to find uh, as many homes as we can for industrial 
electrical source CO2, um, and that's a combination of storage, EOR, and utilization uh, techniques like Infinium. Um, and we're excited to partner with them. They got some uh, great investors like Amazon and Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, and and the ability to help them source that CO2 and move it um, to places close to our infrastructure. And also, you know, we have the ability even to take uh, equity stake in in the project if if that comes to be. So yeah, excited about it. I think you'll see more of this coming in, in multiple forms, not just in fuels, but in in other forms of utilization as well. I guess you know, that's a good point because I I think we are seeing that emerging demand emerging demand center for for sustainable sourcing of products and and, and leveraging CO two for that with with obviously applications around sustainable fuels, but but several manufacturing operations. Um, you know, I guess maybe you can talk a little bit about just the class six wells. Um, you know, Chris, you brought up the fact that a lot of people point out the long lead times around class six permitting. Um, you know, how, how would you sort of characterize the landscape right now for getting approval around class six? You know, how's Denbury navigating that process? Um, you know, there really haven't been many permits issued, you know, small handful historically. So you know, do you think that in general, the industry is kind of oversimplifying uh, how difficult these might be to obtain for, for folks that are trying to become active in the CCUS uh, industry? Um, and maybe talk about just your experience there and some observations around the regulatory side, permitting approvals. You bet. And, and David, I'll take it up one level and just talk about what uh, the EPA is trying to achieve um, through the process and how that aligns with how how I think about um, about CCUS in, in general, you know, with that 20 plus years of experience that that Denbury has in injecting CO2, it, it's it's an unusual fluid. It's lighter than water, and so if if it is not securely stored, it will move, and 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 sometimes it will move to places where you don't want it, and and um, that's something that I think Denbury has become very good at uh, through uh, a lot of experience and honestly some things that haven't gone well for us that we learned from and instituted into processes that make us that much better. But as we think about what can happen with CCUS and the really staggering numbers that, that, that Matt mentioned a moment ago, um, there needs to be a lot of CCUS but it also needs to be done very, very well. Uh, we, it's an industry that, that is very young and needs to maintain the public confidence, and, uh, and it needs to be done safely and securely and professionally. And so I think that uh, as a backdrop, uh, that's, when I look through the EPA's eyes, I think of them uh, uh, thinking about all of that in their approval process. And so the way that we have approached it, um, certainly, as you mentioned, the data points for Class 6 approvals are you know, five to six years, and there, there are only a couple, three of those uh, that I'm aware of. The, the guidance that we've received from the various regions of the EPA that we're working with uh, um, is that we're in a two-year, uh, or they're, they're targeting a two-year approval time frame, and I, and I think that that's possible. Um, but it, it's yet to be seen, I guess, is, is what I'd say right now, David. So we're planning uh, around that two-year time frame. Honestly, we're uh, working to assist and, and really partner with the EPA in any way possible to help them uh, understand and uh, to, provide, to provide them the information that they need to, uh, to analyze and, and ultimately make their approvals. Um, and, and so we're, we're happy with that. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, in the meantime, while that uncertainty still exists, um, having EOR as, as a completely separate, um, established, uh, uh, regulatory approved uh, method of, of uh, putting CO2 permanently underground and qualifying for 45Q along the way, um, we think that that, that, that measure uh, provides the uh, the confidence that's needed to really be moving in this direction today, rather than waiting until we see the first permits come around. That's uh, that's helpful insight. You know, I think one of the things that's been intriguing. You talked about the the Infinium opportunity, right? And then on the other side of that, there's this compelling argument around 
selling net zero barrels, um, you know, the ability to, to, to sell a barrel that, that has a, a net negative carbon footprint, just given uh, some of the sequestration and storage on, on the other on, on the other side. Um, you know, you've, you've announced some some you know headway um, with with some of these initiatives, but how do you see that that market developing for Denbury? Um, obviously, a lot of people ask about receiving a premium for, for those barrels, but you know, it might be interesting just to hear you know if you if you were to become constructive on either sustainably sourcing CO2 for, for you know, the manufacturing of sustainable fuels versus selling net zero barrels um, you know, with, with a pretty captive audience. Like, how do you kind of differentiate the opportunity side between the two? Uh, yeah, well, if you, if you think about the, with the introduction of biofuels and renewable diesel and even the electrofuels, there's certainly a, a big growing demand for low carbon or net zero or and ultimately net negative fuels. Um, the blue barrel, as Chris coined here, maybe a year and a half ago now, um, where we can deliver something that actually has a net negative carbon intensity for liquid fuel, I think is really important. Um, not only because it's a, it's a direct drop in, it's it's part of uh, the current current infrastructure but it also has the ability to blend with some of these products, particularly on the aviation side, where there are regulations in place that limit the percentage of, of sustainable aviation fuels from the renewable sources. So if you think about blending that with a fossil fuel, if you could blend it with one that has a negative carbon footprint, you've just uh, enhanced the value of that, or you can, if you wanna push it to net zero, you can increase the volume by blending other uh, conventional barrels into it. So uh, it's really taking off. You think about it, these are truly the, the transition fuels, right? It's it's not a big burden on infrastructure. Um, the airlines, the trucking industry, rail, they all need large quantities of liquid fuels and they're all trying to solve that problem. And we think we got a pretty good uh, solution to that issue with the with the blue barrel. And like a, a blue barrel contract, is that is that sort of like at a, at a pretty decent stage right now? Is that you know how, how do you think about structuring those those offtake agreements? Yeah, well, uh, that, that's a good question. Uh, certainly, we're we're kind of in the education phase of things, right? Uh, you saw us announce at the end of the year that we actually got a third party to to look, look at our two biggest EOR projects that use industrial CO two. Uh, look at their carbon intensity from from cradle to grave. So we're uh, we're happy they came back with with stuff that was consistent with what we were doing in house. Um, and then it's uh, once you get past the fact that hey, okay, yes, it's a fossil fuel, but it's got a better carbon story than a lot of fuels out there, um, and it it ideally does deserve a premium. You know, and so how do you how do you govern that? You've seen some announcements about you know single shipment of of uh, carbon neutral crude, uh, or the recent announcement um, from Oxy and SK on yeah. on oil in the future coming out of, out of some of their EOR projects. Uh, relatively small volumes currently. I think Denver is around 13, 14,000 barrels a day of what we'd call blue oil. That number we see nearly doubling with CCA when it hits its peak here in a few years out. Uh, so we think we got the lion's share of the product. And then it's just a question of what's the best way to market that. Um, do we bring those to a, a single point uh, for refinement? Do we, do we market it um, and get that premium on paper? Uh, that's yet to be worked out. I, I think you could look at kind of what is the what would be the floor of, of a premium is probably tied to what you could get on the on the carbon offset markets. Yeah, uh, no, that's, and then that's an interesting. I, I think competition will drive that premium higher. Yeah. I guess how do you how do you think about CCUS? I know we're we're almost at at our time here, but you know, Chris, I think you, you talked about earlier, like there, there's a tremendous amount of free cash flow coming out of the EOR business. Um, you know, it seems like Denbury is carving a niche within this sort of future EMP business model that obviously 
uh, serve some of the climate initiatives, serve some of the, the carbon uh, reduction and offset goals that are out there, uh, while also having you know a uh, what, what appears to be a growing oil business um, that that's sort of beholden to this capital return model. Um, you know, do you think about this? Just this, how do you think of of CCUS sort of complementing that that free cash model out of the EMP business, and, and how do you kind of you know, thread that needle here. You bet, and I think threading the needle is the, the right expression there, David. Um, I, I think back on a conversation uh, I had with one of our key investors last year, and, and he he said, you know, when I look at Denbury, I think that I'm buying a value business and getting a growth business wrapped into it, and and that's a way that I like to think about it. We have an aspect of what we do that is certainly a value business with what we can do with the EOR, the growth that we'll have in the EOR, and then some of the other exciting uh, things about the nature of the barrels that we produce, like Matt just discussed. So that is that is, that on its own would really set you up, uh, especially in today's uh, oil environment, or honestly, um, you know, even in in, in, uh, in prices well below today's into a good position to to be able to uh, uh, take on a profile like like many of our peers in the in the E&P industry. But when we wrap in the CCUS opportunity, uh, then it, it gets very interesting to me because um, CCUS will require capital, no doubt. Uh, much of our capital is already spent, but there will be plenty yet to come. Uh, a bit this year, uh, stepping up as we're developing New sites and and, uh, and and new projects in the in the coming years, um, and so I see a period where certainly what I believe is the right priority for Denbury is to take it, the, any free cash that's needed for investment in CCUS and point it in in that direction as as a priority. Um, I, I, I do think uh, a couple of things I'd add to that. Um, we could have a case where ultimately the the free cash is such that we can do everything we need with CCUS um, and and have um, remaining free cash that we that we could then uh, point towards a, a form of shareholder return, whether it's uh, share buybacks or dividends, for example. But uh, certainly we want to to take care of that first priority initially. You know, then as I think further uh, over the next several years. As as we start to see the first CCUS volumes flow through our system, which we expect uh, will be under this new uh, this new 45Q program, we, we expect that will be in the 2024 timeframe, ramping throughout the, uh, the the remaining years of, of the decade. Um, we see a point where we'll also be driving uh, free cash from that business. And so I think that in the near term, prioritizing CCUS investments is the right thing to do. And, and with the potential for additional uh, free cash uh, uh, available to, um, to, to look at a returns uh, policy. Um, longer term, I think that it, it, the business will be very strong in, in, in both sides there and, and, and we'll be able to, to look even further at that. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's certainly a unique profile. Um, you know, maybe we can close with with kind of a, a two part question. That is, um, you know, certainly talking about as it relates to Denbury, the, the things that you're you're sort of most excited about or most looking forward to uh, along the CCUS milestones in the next year or so. But but also as you know, Denbury's in a unique situation. Describe so many of the reasons why just around having this legacy business. With, an enormous amount of CO2 pipeline infrastructure, which obviously is difficult to come by and you can't retrofit old pipelines, but we are seeing a lot of initiatives, you know, I think with, with, uh, from, from earnest places where, where people want to get involved in this industry, I, I guess, as you look across like the competitive landscape, you know, what are, what are the key risks do you think that, that are facing the industry uh, progressing some of the CCUS ambitions? Because certainly it, it seems like you know, we kind of need all hands on deck here if we're going to hit some of these CO2 uh, reduction goals. Absolutely. We need all hands on deck. Um, to, to get anywhere close to any of these goals, it will, it will take a lot to get there, and, it, and it's not just Denbury. 
having said that, David, um, if you ask what I'm most excited about as, as I think about the future is, and what I think about is that the coming months and years will make it, in my view, very clear uh, that Denbury will be the world leader in CCUS. Uh, with the great starting point that we have today and our pure strategic focus on building this and being a great partner to industrial emitters and actually making a difference in CCUS on a, on a scale that, that is meaningful, that's exciting. And it, it's something that it, it complements our existing business um, perfectly and uh, our ability to, to have our employee base work across lines of EOR and CS and what all that can become is just incredibly exciting when we look at that that opportunity set. And and honestly, just the the pure focus that we have on this and and our ability to really be a partner with industry and in, in making it happen is incredibly energizing and and uh, and I think we're gonna see that just become more and more clear as, as time goes on here. So that's exciting. Um, you know, the key risks that I think about, uh, and I touched on them a bit on, uh, on an earlier question, uh, really thinking about just with so many potential entrants into, into the CCUS business, just making sure that we keep a very high standard technically and operationally for how CO2 is put underground. Um, honestly, like anything in, in, in America today, there are people who don't like what any, something about what anybody is doing. And, yeah. uh, and there are some who honestly don't like CCUS. Uh, I, I think that it's a pretty small um, proportion of the population. But David, we need to prove them wrong. We need to prove them wrong through excellent operations, through safe operations, and making an impact on uh, on how much pure volume of CO2 we're able to keep out of the atmosphere, that will get there. But it's going to take discipline and and some rigor to make sure that the industry, as it evolves, it, it, it stays at that level. Chris and Matt, I I really appreciate the time. Um, you know, wish wish both of you and the Denbury organization a tremendous amount of success going forward. As you know, this is a pretty large mission that that you know the world has in front of us and you know, i appreciate your time explaining some of the uh, the solutions that you have available and, and helping walk our audience through your story sounds great david uh, thanks for giving us the time i, I really enjoyed it yeah, thanks david thanks guys take care thanks for joining us stay tuned for the next episode of cowan insights